Pastor St. John Air. I have many people who say that must be his last name, St. John. Believe what you want to believe, but the truth is the truth. Amen? I tell that to people when you read your Bibles as well. Believe what you want to believe, but the truth is the truth. So I hope you read God's word the right way. Amen? You'll find out as well. God will deal with you if you're not. <laughs> like, uh, that's an amazing stuff. Now, I want to talk, talk about to you. I'm going to start with the year 1856. I'm going to tell you a little history lesson here, okay? In 1856, a man named Frederick August. Bartholdi was vacationing in Egypt. What a great place to take a vacation, in Egypt. And he was overwhelmed by what he saw. He saw the grandeur of the Nile, and he saw the stateliness of the Sphinx. That's a hard word to say. And the beauty of the Nile, it filled him with awe. And while he was there, he met another visitor to Egypt. And that gentleman's name was Ferdinand de Lesepes. Ferdinand de Lesepes was proposing to build a canal that would take the Red Sea, at the top of the Red Sea, the most northern part, and connect it to the Mediterranean Sea. So I have a, 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 an artist and I have an engineer there. And he said that if I build this canal that goes from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, it will save ship from having to sail all the way down the Cape of Africa and all the way back up to get to European countries. That's pretty smart. Do you know that that canal still exists today? It's known as the Suez Canal. And more recently, if you remember the Suez Canal, there was a certain ship called the Evergreen. Do you remember that? That went through there, a huge container ship, and suddenly it went sideways. And it blocked, and shipping was disrupted worldwide. That's how important that this was here. So anyway, in that canal, Bartholdi was inspired by Giuseppe's plan. And he said, you know what? I, I think what you're engineering is absolutely amazing. I want to do something that will put a capstone on this project. And so what he decided he was going to do, he said, I'm going to build a lighthouse at the top of the Red Sea, when you, where you're, you enter into the Suez Canal, I'm gonna build this beautiful lighthouse. And he set off and took the next 10 years designing, making clay models, throwing them away, until he was getting more and more inspired with each and every revolution of what he was building. He had finally settled on a design, and he said it would be taller than the snake, so it would be something that the eye would certainly see. Sadly, it never came to fruition at that entrance. The reason being is because when it came time for someone to pay for the project, he could not get any takers. And so he was disheartened, and he goes back to France, and he's feeling let down. His design that he said was gonna be beautiful, it was gonna be a robe person, and they were gonna be holding a book of justice in their hands, and a light in their hands that would be the top of the lighthouse. When he got back home to his home country, they commissioned him and said, actually, there's something we wanna do. We wanna give a gift to America. And because we want to give this gift to America, we're going to commission you to build it. And so he set out about building that. The lighthouse that he had built as well was this. Do you know what it was called? It was put in the New York Harbor, and it was, became a grand lighthouse, and it was the Statue of Liberty. This, did you know, was actually intended to originally stand at the top of the Red Sea. And we got it. Now, this was designed to stand on those shores, but uh, the lighthouse comes here. But we are going to take a moment here this morning, and we're going to be going into the book of Exodus, chapter 14, if you have your Bibles. But one of the things I want to take a look at here is this uh, Statue of Liberty stood as a sign of liberty. We're going to take a look in Exodus here, chapter 14, about an event. But it was not a statue. It was an event that will discuss liberty with us this morning. Amen. Now, down through the centuries, we see the representation of God's power that is given to people. And it wasn't done as a statue. It was done as a nation 
standing on the shores of the Red Sea. Now, if you know if I'm talking about a, a nature of people and you're standing on the Red Sea, which group of people do you think I'm talking about? The Israelites. Now, bringing you forward in history here a little bit, here's what's happening. The Israelites, they had been doing very well, but suddenly there was a famine in the land, and they found themselves coming under the authority of the Egyptians. And over a period of years, the leader over Egypt died, and a new leader came in and didn't much take a liking to God's chosen people. And slowly, they slipped into a form of slavery. They had no choice, and then they were treated very, very poorly. Now, one of the things that happened is many of them grumbled and complained and wanted to get out of Egypt. When you're in a bad situation, like, you ever had a job you just couldn't stand? And the marriage is not one of those that counts, so you can't name that. But if you had a job and you said, I can't stand this, you know, and this is not for me, and I, I loathe going into that every day, you would start looking for what we call an exit strategy. Is that right? That would make sense. Some people who don't look for an exit strategy, they just grit their teeth and Keep riding that on through. But at the same point, though, I believe that God wants to bless the people that he calls his own. And it says, in, you know, when blessings are pursued of the righteousness, I believe God's got something even better for them then, to give them the desires of their heart according to his purpose as well. So I take a look here, and we're going to see a story about a people that will not only face the Red Sea, but they will march through the Red Sea. That's good. That's good. So... Take a look here. Even on today, scholars debate where the Red Sea, the crossing, actually took place. Some people, and we go back to the Hebrew, and they refer to it as the Sea of Reeds. So I did a little bit of digging and studying about where did the Egyptians actually cross the Red Sea. And I watched so many videos of people who are exploring uh, biblical archaeology as well. And still to this day, there's different opinions about it. But it doesn't matter whether it was point A or point B or point C. The truth to us is that they did it. They made it, amen? And so when we see that they did cross the Red Sea, I, I was amazed at some of the things I was seeing. So I'm going to take you on a little visual journey, and you, hopefully this will enhance your imagery in your mind of what we see. It was described in the Bible that when the Israelites were heading towards the Red Sea, that they were traveling through a narrow canyon with steep mountains on either side. I'm, we're talking mountain cliffs that you couldn't climb. So that was not an option. It's like they couldn't sit there and say to someone in the camp, hey, I want you to go up to the top of the ridge there and scout out what does it look like ahead. It just couldn't be done. But it did say that this was a very steep, steep canyon. And then when it comes out, it kind of opens up almost onto like a beachhead in a sense. Not, don't think sandy beaches. It was rocky. But they, they, they show up on there, and they all just barely fit into the space that they were finally uh, found themselves spilled out on. But the, the sad, sad part about this is when they were spilled out on the beachhead, guess who was behind them? Yeah, this is the, the good guys versus the bad guys. The Egyptians are on their tail. Why are the Egyptians on their tail? Because they told them, go ahead, take off. No, I changed my mind. Go ahead, take off. I changed my mind. Go ahead, take off. I changed my mind. Now they decided that they wanted the Egyptians back because they didn't like working for themselves. The slaves were doing all the labor tasks for them. They wanted them back. So they're going to go try and retrieve them. And if they couldn't take them back, they were going to kill them. Does that make sense? So now you've got these people chasing them. Now, if you're an Israelite at this point, what is your frame of mind? Trapped. Trapped like a rat on a sinking ship, right? This is not good. And when things go bad, who do you blame? The leaders. The leaders. So listen, just a side note here. If you have anything to complain about this sermon and you feel the need to rush the stage, 
before you do, my seniors are a pretty faithful tribe to me. If you'd give them just a head start so they can protect me, that'd be great. I'd appreciate it. That would be good. Seniors, be alert. Be alert. You never know how this is going to go down. <coughs> so the, we find here that the uh, intervention of the Lord, he's used the east wind. Some, some uh, scripture says it like this. Some scripture. I'm, I'm picking parts down. It says he used the east wind to make a channel for their passage upon which the, uh, on the bed of the sea. And God was answering them. Did you notice this as well? That God's answering their problem even before they begin to cry out to him. You see, God already knows what's in your future. And God knows what you faced up to this point. And here you are today. And God knows what's coming up in your future as well. And it says he's going to begin to work on your behalf even at that moment as well. Now, before departing the Red Sea, Moses spoke to the Israelites, and we're going to be taking a look at Exodus 14, chapter 13. Moses answers the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Hey, if only that flashed up on the screen to even encourage the Israelites more. How many of you think in the Israelite camp, you know, over the million people went, yay! Because remember, they're complaining to Moses. They're complaining. How many of you would like to have been there to see this? Some people would like to have been there. That would be really, really cool. It's a powerful telling of the mighty hand of God. Now, this is exciting there, but one of the things, I, I, I will tell you this too. I, in my, you ever have a, just a good time praying with the Lord? You know, I, I believe God uh, with the Lord. I believe he enjoys humor as well. And sometimes when I pray, I say, hey, Lord, I'm not there yet, but when I get to heaven... Not if, when. When I get to heaven, I want to know, is there going to be some type of a living museum? And what I mean by a living museum, we're not, not in an IMAX screen type of mode where I can watch the party in the Red Sea, but could I actually stand there and feel it all, smell it, feel the wind in my face on the parting of the Red Sea? How many of you think that would be a cool place to visit in heaven? It'd be like, push a button, select a Bible story, and live it with the people. Amen? Now... Those Israelites back in the day were not enjoying being there. But in heaven, if we could recreate, we're like, ah, I'm good because I already made it. I crossed the finish line. It can't hurt me. In fact, you might even try to walk on the Red Sea at that point. But I am sitting there and I'm thinking that, you know, to see all those things, that's so amazing. But the, the problem is this, is that uh, none of the Israelites at that time were all that excited about being there. They'd rather have been anywhere but there. And they turned to Moses and they said this. In Exodus 14, 11, if you have your Bibles open, it said this. Why is it because, uh, why is it because there were no graves? Is this why you brought us to the desert to die? That is their appreciation for their leader. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? It's all your fault. It's all on you, mister. You ever been in an argument at home? And man, the mud starts getting flung. It's never your fault. And whoever slings the most mud is probably feeling the most righteous in the moment. Is that right? But we find that we do complain to leadership. But we're going to take a look and find out, were the Israelites all halos and glory up to this point? Oh, we're going to find out what's going on because they got a 40-year journal that's about to be written about them once they cross the Red Sea. You see those Egyptians? You will never see them again. They are forgetting what Moses has said. The man who was anointed and appointed by God is saying something to them, the voice piece for God himself, and they're ignoring it all. 
And they're doing what they want to do, saying what they want to say. Oh my goodness, it was almost always a tug of war between God and the Israelites. And there was Moses in the middle with a rope wrapped around his waist, getting pulled in both directions, if you can imagine a visual like that. Many times we find ourselves in life situations that people are pulling us in different directions. Ask any mother in this room if they've ever felt that way. Ask any parent if they've ever been with a child in a toy store. I love when you walk through the stores like Walmart or something like that and you hear the parents say, I said no. <laughs> and the kid's like, I know you said it, but I don't accept it. And they're like, no, I said no. If you don't stop, we're going home right now. I said no, we're going home now. I said no, we're going home. You know, it just goes on and on and on. I'm like, mom, dad, pack that child up and go home. Because after a while, your words just become words. Put your words into action, I always say. Now, I'm finding out here as well that these people, they're pulling in both directions. The Israelites literally, literally owed Moses their lives, and they shower him with complaints. I'm going to do a side section here now, okay? This is all about complaining. Do you want to hear about it? Tough. I pray that, it would, that you would receive it, amen? Because there are times when we all get a little embittered. There are times when we all lose our cool. There's a time when we all feel stressed. These are normal human emotions. What makes us separate from the world is the way we respond to it, the way we choose to respond to it, the proper response we should have to it. Complaining will show that there is a resistance to change. I love the new young band. That's what I call them today. The new young band that was up here. I enjoyed them. Did you? Amen. I was sitting down there and I was worshiping and I said, Lord, they're, 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 uh, it's a different group. Now they've played music. They've been playing together. But the new young band as well may present us with some things as Pastor Mike had shared. Things we don't know. Songs we didn't know. That's a change. Now you as a congregant, can sit there and say, man, I'm struggling because I don't know the words of this song. But that's okay. It is a change. Amen? Amen? Because I will tell you that the songs you know from your generation, there was a generation before you that didn't know them, and you took time to learn new songs. But one of the things we find that is when we are faced with change, we can tend to complain. Does that make sense? When your wife says, we're having a new casserole for dinner tonight, men, you're supposed to be, oh boy, can't wait. When your wife says, I rearranged the furniture while you were at work today. Or I cleaned your closet. And I threw out half the stuff that was in there. Ah, that's a tough change, isn't it? Or her husband says, I, I spent some of our money and bought new power tools. The ladies are like, great, what are you going to build me? I don't know yet, but I've got, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Complaining does this as well. It shows a weakness in your patience. When you are not patient, you tend to be frustrated, which leads to that complaining, doesn't it? We become frustrated with that. How many of you really struggle with patience? Now, all you need to do is ask the Lord to give you some life lessons to help you deal with patience. 
The reason some of you are hearing people go, oh, is because this. If you ask the Lord to help you with patience, he's going to put you through a few trials. So all the Christians who are in the know, like, I never pray for patience. I never pray for it. It doesn't matter. God still knows your heart. He's going to give you a lesson. And I will tell you this as well. When we complain, it shows a lack of trust in God's planning and God's timing. When we choose to complain. So don't complain. Too often we dwell on the past and how long it takes the way things used to be. When a change is not the change we want or it's scary to us, we complain about it. But check this out on the screen. When we complain, we can lose everything in a blink. We can. If you don't believe me, ask the entire nation of Israel that failed to see the promised land. God dealt with over a million people who complained. And he said, you're not going to make it across the finish line to see the land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to deal with it as well. So I figure if God's going to deal with something that he doesn't like, why do I give him an opportunity to have to deal with me on that? And let instead, God, I choose not to complain. And eat my wife's casserole. Or accept that phone call that goes on and on and on forever. And not complain about it. The Israelites complained, they lost their blessing, and God said their generation was going to die in the desert and not to live to see the promised land. Now, my younger people are mostly over here. I've got some all scattered through the room, but younger people, listen to this. When he said that you're not going to see the promised land, he was talking about everybody 20 years and up. Now, some of you right now are sitting there at 18 like, Woo, I'm safe. I can still complain for another year. No, that is not the right theology here. But he, he saw a certain age where the people were complaining, and he definitely said we're dealing with that there as well. So don't be part of a complaining generation. How many of you know things aren't right in the world today? Yeah? How many of you know things aren't right in our government, in our schools, in our councils? Things are not right. Let me try it this way now. How many of you know things aren't right in our church? We can choose to complain about all these things, or we can come up with what is an appropriate response to these frustrations? What is an appropriate response to these things that we see are going wrong and, and, and how we do about it? A complaining generation in the Israelites, it was a dying generation. Complaining is a distraction. It's an obstacle. From the, and it's in the way of getting the promises of God in your life. You're literally cutting your nose off to spite your face with your complaining. If you sit there and say, Lord, I hate Sister Murphy, can't stand her. Take her home now, Jesus, and Lord, I want you to bless me. God's looking at you like, loser. No. He's like, wait a minute, before I deal with Sister Murphy, I'm going to deal with you. Does that make sense? How many of you, when you raise kids and they're sitting and they're complaining about something, and you're like, wait, 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 let's first, let's talk about your attitude before we talk about the problem. And I believe God's the same way when he looks at us and he says, I want to talk about your attitude first before we start to talk about the problem. But it's so often that we want to stay where our attitude is. I used to teach when I was in banking and I would, I would talk to people about how to diffuse a situation. Now some fathers and some mothers are excellent at diffusing situations. They're the peacemakers. And I would tell my customer service reps, if you get a customer on, they're being belligerent, they're using language that's offensive, they are trying to push all your buttons. Emotionally, they are here. You got on the phone and you are steady here. They are trying to get you 
to see them eye to eye. Does that make sense? Your goal as a diffuser is to talk them down. Because when you're up here, you're emotional. When you're down here, you're logical. Now, I know some of you say, I I've been dating someone who's emotional my whole life. I don't know. But, you know, if you want to have a meaningful conversation, you can't do it while you're easily distracted, while your mind is somewhere else. If your mind is harboring on anger or on complaining, you're not going to have a very effective conversation. Would you agree someone say amen to that? So don't be part of that dying generation. And also, don't miss out on the plans God has for you. Don't lose sight of what God has promised you. Stop seeing the glass as half empty and start seeing the glass as half full. Ask yourself in your heart right now, Lord, am I an optimist or am I a pessimist? Not a socialist. Am I an optimist or a pessimist? Do you tend to see the good in things or do you tend to see first see the bad in things? I love the fact that God first sees the good in us. I mean, he sees everything, but I love that he first sees the good in us as well. When you feel like complaining, check yourself with a PSA. Not a public service announcement. Cool tip. It's free today. Use it. Pray, seek, and then ask God. Think about it. You need your attitude in check? Stop and say, Lord, I need a PSA right now. I need to pray. I need to seek you. And then I need to ask you about this situation here. Are you resistant to change? Do you struggle when things change? Are you getting in the way of God's plan for your very own life? You see, the Bible says this. It's found in Proverbs. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, your good days, all your ways, your bad days, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him means you need to talk to him. And it says that he will make your paths straight. Some people say, I feel like I'm so lost and my life is just going in circles. That's the opposite of what we just said. Well, if you realize that your life is going in circles, and sometimes we said my life is spiraling out of control. You ever heard that statement? Well, if those things are coming out of your mouth, you need to stop and realize, I need to go to the Lord with some things. Now, back to the Red Sea. We're done with the complaining section. Thank you for letting me share that. Hate me later. These people are terrified on the shores of the Red Sea. They are panicking. They want to be any place except where they are right now. Have you ever in your life said, Lord, I am not where I want to be in life? Lord, I am not feeling like this is the right everything about my life. I can't even put my finger on it, Lord. I can't even describe what it is. But in my life, some things are not right. And that might be you in this room this morning. I know it was me. Not just once, but on many occasions, Lord, something's not right in my life. And I find that the days when I am right in my life with the Lord are the best days. They are the sweetest days. But that means that I need to be able to recognize. Folks, when you get sick, you need to go see the doctor. Is that right? But if you don't go see the doctor, you may not get better. When I realize things are not steady and my path is not straight in my life, I need to go see my heavenly spiritual physician. Amen? Amen? I need to go there. So I check it out and I say that uh, here it's hard to understand why they were so afraid. Is it hard to understand? No, your life is in danger. The Israelites travel through that winding canyon and here we see what is now known as the most well-trained army in the world is on their heels coming after them. There is literally no escape. I know that 
in my life, I have faced things where I thought I was never going to escape and get out from under it. I know that there are people who have been in relationships who thought I'm never going to get away from this. I know there are people who have felt that as they were raising their family and they saw something going bad and they said, it's never going to change. Or we see in the job, it's never going to get any better. We've had conversations like that. We've had thoughts like that with ourselves. But yet with God, everything is possible. And it says he fights on your behalf. Thou, O Lord, are a shield around me. He is my glory and he is my lifter of my head. And he promises to you that he will live to protect you to see you through the storms. I figure if Jesus can stand up in a boat into a storm and simply say, peace, be still, and immediately the seas calm, my problem ain't that big. Your problem ain't that big. Unless you think you're such an original deal that you've invented the newest problem. And like, oh God, this is a doozy. Wait till you try this one. He's like, give me, just give it to me. Give me the ball. I'll, I'll run with it as well. So there is no way out. And at that point, Moses turns to the people and Moses says this in Exodus 13 through 14. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What? Fear not. There's an entire army with very sharp, pointy objects. Their mothers never taught them, don't run with pointy, sharp objects, because look at them, they're coming after us. Stand firm. We're on a beach. There's water out there. And be silent. No. None of that's happening. How many of you, I watched a video once, I saw it was a, a mother and her son were in a car and she had her dash cam on and they were following and dad was driving a fifth wheel travel trailer in front of them. That's the type that a pickup truck pulls the trailer. And suddenly you see that the trucks, the, the, everything starts swerving and the trailer goes over to the side of the road and it goes sideways, it starts to jackknife and just up against an embankment. The whole time I heard a kid screaming. He was screaming out for the safety of his father because he knew his father was in that truck. Just screaming and screaming at the top of his lungs. And I heard the mother saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. No, he's fine. He's fine. She saw that the truck didn't flip. If he had a seatbelt on, he's going to walk away from that one, right? But that kid saw a very present danger and had a certain reaction. The mother, who's probably been through a few things, saw it and came with a calmness about her. Good job, moms, for that. Yeah, moms, you are great, because when we cut ourselves and we start bleeding, it doesn't phase you. You're like, I oh, relax, you'll grow a new one. <laughs> Husbands who come in with an injury from the garage because they decide they're going to try out those new power tools they just bought, and they're like, honey, there's something wrong with my hand. She's like, so, use the back door. I just vacuumed the carpets. You know when your back is up against the wall and you've run out of options that it's a lot easier said than done to be still, to stand firm, to not fear. When faced with the situations that we can't control, and that's key, when we can't control it, we get anxious, we get nervous, and we want to change something because we want to fix it. We want to make it all right. Does that make sense? We want to resolve it. 
I know there's many a times that we learn that when it comes to teenagers, you help them with some things, but you don't fix all their problems because there's some things that they need to figure out on their own. And they're not going to learn if we always just do for them. And that's hard to pull back and to let them go, to let them make mistakes. Like maybe pastor letting me be up here and preach today. <laughs> they wanted to be anywhere except where they were. And I read the most intriguing thing a couple of days ago on Facebook, so I'm going to put it on the screen. Not once does the Bible say worry about it, stress over it, figure it out. But over and over, the Bible clearly says, trust God. Now, we get the instructions. We get the medicine. The, re the responsibility now is ours is, are we going to swallow the medicine? Are we going to believe it? Do we have faith over fear? I know that's a cliche term, but do you have greater faith than you have fear? Why give fear the greater strength in your mindset? Amen? Give your faith the greater mindset. Because i got to tell you, since the early, early days when God created the heavens and the earth, he has done nothing but miracle after miracle after miracle. He has done it with his chosen people. He has raised the dead from the grave. He has helped the lame to walk, and he has had the blind to see. All of those things took place, and if you believe it and if you know it, and without a doubt you say, yes, he did all those things, what makes us so special that he's not going to take care of what's going on with us? If we will just have faith over fear. God, you did it then. God, you'll do it now. And God, I believe you're going to do it tomorrow. Live your life that way. But why shouldn't I worry? Why shouldn't I be anxious? I mean, I'm in a terrible place. I don't think I'll ever get out of my problem. I've got a reason to be anxious. What's wrong with that? Some people even say, I'm entitled to worry. <laughs> entitled to worry. That's like saying, I came in second place. I'm entitled to be called the first loser. <laughs> Think about it. You can't change anything by worrying. You've got to realize that. That's the most core statement I'm making today. You can't change anything by worrying. You got someone who's sick and laid up. You're afraid you're going to lose them. Worrying does not help their health outcome one bit. If anything, it reduces your quality of health. Amen? We're not going to worry. We're going to choose to do something different. Jesus said, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Worrying doesn't fix anything. It robs you of your time. Worrying robs you of peace. And it robs you like a thief. And I'm telling you, if a thief is coming to steal from you, I've never heard that going and turning out well. I'm so glad you came in and robbed me today. I've never been through one of these. It's so exciting. It makes you weak when you worry. It makes you vulnerable when you worry and prone to things you ought not to do. Amen? So here's a story I want to share with you. <laughs> this is a good one. There was, years ago, and this is a true story, there was a quality control inspector that worked at a company where they uh, sold uh, fiberglass showers and tubs. Now, one of the things that they would do is they would get in a, a giant tub, and it would be filled with what they called fiberglass mats. Now, the job of his, as quality inspector, was to make sure that there was enough fiberglass encased in these hardened plastic mats. Does that make sense? Now, you can't see it. He can't, you can't really break this off because the stuff is stuck to the fiberglass um, on there. So his job was 
he would melt the fiberglass away from the, uh, or the uh, plastic away from the fiberglass. And how they did this at this company was they would take what looked like a KFC bucket, if you could imagine, with a mesh on the bottom. It's a cardboard bucket with a mesh bottom. He puts the fiberglass piece that he cuts away, and first he weighs it, then he puts it in the bucket. And then he sets the whole thing in another bucket of acetone. Now, acetone will melt away the hard, rigid plastic and leave just behind the fiberglass. If you're not sure what acetone is, the ladies may know because it's the same thing you use to take polish off your nails, right? Yeah, ladies love going to get their nails done because it's all chemical-based. You're like, I feel so good when I'm in here. <laughs> and smart men are at home saying, hey, honey, can I take off your nail polish for you? Woohoo! But that's acetone. And so he's doing that. And then finally, what he's able to do then is when he, when he does get the hard shell off of it, he's able to take the fiberglass itself, weigh it, and that will tell him what percentage of fiberglass there is to that mat. That's the theory. So he's going through this process, and he's sitting there as a quality inspector. He says, you know, it takes such a long time for that fiberglass because it's got to be dry because if I weigh it with the acetone absorbed in it, that's not an accurate weight. So he comes up. Here's the man's, man in the man cave. I got an idea. If I take it out and it's in the KFC-type bucket with a mesh, if I use a blow dryer, I can start to um, help it evaporate because acetone does evaporate rather quickly. That's why, ladies, God gave you 10 fingers to stay at the nail salon because it wouldn't be happy with just one. But by 10, things are good. So he has this brain idea to start doing that. Now, here's a little-known fact. Acetone has a very low flashpoint. By flashpoint, meaning flammable. And he's got a blow dryer, and he's blow drying some acetone away. Well, he discovered that it does catch fire, because suddenly that bucket was on fire. The fiberglass, which was still soaked in acetone, is now a chemical reacting, and it's a cardboard bucket. It's a recipe for disaster. And he is in the chemical room. He starts to freak out. He drops the bucket, starts to back away. The bucket rolls over, and it's starting to roll along the shaky table. Three feet away is a 55-gallon drum with a top off filled with acetone. I mean, it doesn't even have to be in the bucket to start the fire. Just the fumes alone would do. Is that right? He looks at it. And not only this, but he is in the chemical room, literally surrounded by all the flammable stuff this company deals with. And he's in there saying, I got an idea with a blow dryer. Now, this wasn't a big town. In the news article, it says not a big town, but it says if the, if the town blew up, there wouldn't be much left of the, of, of the community. They certainly wouldn't find him. But he goes on, he knew the Lord, and he said this. He goes, I have, the Lord got a hold of me, and the Lord reminded me to bring my fear to burden, to bring it to heel under control. He goes, and I was able to reach out calmly, grab that barrel that was on its side, put it away from everything else, and quickly douse the flames in it. And save the day. I don't think he admitted this story for quite a while, but he says the Lord helped him in his panic. On the screen, the next thing is this. Worrying blinds us to the one person who can fix the problem. Because we get our eyes on the problem and we don't get our eyes on... Come on, are you with me still this morning? Here you go. Now check this out. Even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's great. That sounds good on paper. But when you are walking through the valley, does it bring comfort to your soul? 
the valley, the shadow of death. The Israelites are literally living out this scripture. Yea, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. It's a very real place because God is saying, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you in the surgery. I am with you in front of the computer. I am with you when balancing your checkbook. I am with you when your relationship is strained with your family. It says this as well in Philippians 4, 5 through 6. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and by petitioning and with thanksgiving, bring your request to God. He literally says, give me your problems. I don't know about you, but there's times when I used to come home from work after being at the bank, I'm like, I don't want to deal with one more problem. But I was still a married man. Don't read into it. Because if all my problems only took place at work, I'd have a lot of days I'd call in sick. But the reality is, what, I, what do I mean by that? We have problems 24-7, every one of us. So 24-7, I need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Help me be still. Help me trust. Why shouldn't I be anxious? Why? Because the Lord is near. Several years ago, there was an article in Time magazine Getting a prescription, and here it goes. It says, people struggled with insomnia, and they struggled getting to sleep at night. Anybody like that here? No, not me. It takes me 30 minutes to find something on the TV, and then two, two minutes to realize I'm no longer watching it. <laughs> it's not a fair balance of my time or my equity, but it's what happens. But the writer wrote this as well, and he said, getting a prescription might not be the best idea. This is Greg Jacobs. He is an insomnia expert with a sleep disorders center. It isn't that Ambien that doesn't work, and Ambien is a pill uh, widely used that helps people fall asleep and it's prescribed, but in a study, people in the archives of the internal medicine, Jacob cited, along with his colleagues, that there is another treatment that is a better treatment. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. I did not say CDB. <laughs> Jacob said drugs like Ambien get you to sleep, but they do not get to the stress and the anxiety, which are often the underlying cause of insomnia. Once you get off of Ambien, it says that insomnia, insomnia usually returns with a vengeance. I noticed two things about this article, and one is this. Stress and anxiety are often the underlying causes of insomnia. And according to the experts, the best cure for chronic insomnia is co cognitive behavioral therapy. Well, you know what? Cognitive behavioral therapy, this is in when you basically deal with, cognitive means what? Your brain, your thinking, your awareness. So he's talking about a different behavioral way of dealing with that. However, centuries before this doctor or anybody else came up with a way, God already had prescribed that very thing for his people. The Lord is near. Be still. I find a lot of times people struggle falling asleep because their mind is so captivated and captured by thoughts and they can't turn it off. Amen? And you wish that there was just some switch you could flick. You, like, I want to relive everything I saw as a childhood watching cartoons where you grab the great big hammer, hit yourself in the head, and go to sleep. But that's not the case. I'm thankful that I can just literally turn it off and turn it on, but I'm one of those people, as soon as my eyes open in the morning... The mind is racing, everything is clicking, all pistons are firing. Anybody else like that here? 
Yeah, it's sad. I'm a morning person. God mated me with someone who is not. <laughs> Good morning, honey. What are you doing? Hey, it's a great day. What do you want to do? I got plans. You think about this? I got a chore list already in my head. I thought about it last night before I went to bed. The day is young. Want to join me? And she's like, Shh. <laughs> Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You don't have to be anxious or fearful because he's right there with you. There is, there is promise in this psalm here. On the screen it says this, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now what does that mean there? It sounds like it's saying the opposite at the beginning to the end. What he's saying here though is you work hard, but he is still your peace through it all. I mean, the land was cursed. We have to work the soil, don't we? Weeds are weeds, and gardening is gardening. And I'm not really a gardener. I don't enjoy it. I just would rather blowtorch my whole yard, but my wife won't let me. <laughs> but all we need to realize, he is there. He is not going anywhere. Amen? So first, worrying doesn't fix anything. That's the first thing. Worrying fixes nothing. Second, it blinds you to the one who can fix what is wrong or at least see you through it. And third, it is often based on wanting what I want. Now, Pastor Jason has accused me. He said, St. John, you have this amazing technique to sucker punch the entire audience and then end up making them laugh and, and everything like that. It is true. Insert joke here, it says. <laughs> well, good. I didn't even have to. The Israelites wanted out of Egypt. They have a good reason to want out of Egypt. It's been a place of utter slavery, heartache, despair. And so God sends them a deliverer by the name of Moses who leads them out of their slavery. They've seen the power of God over the plagues that took place, and they were brought upon the Egyptians. They've seen the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire that has been their guide, leading them to the promised land. And they've seen the various acts of God who provides for their needs. God is with them. I mean, if you've literally got a pillar of fire leading you, and it's been told to you that it's from God, are you, do you think you're in a good place? Do you know that pillar of fire and that, that cloud of smoke was there at the Red Sea? And yet they forgot everything because fear took over, anxiety took over, and complaining was the byproduct of it. They've seen all these things, but now the time they've come to the Red Sea here and they are having second thoughts. They begin to think, oh, wait a minute, back in Egypt, let's, let's focus on that. That's, yeah, let my mind go there. And as they do, they start to think, was it because there was no graves in Egypt, Moses, that you brought us here to the desert? What have you done by bringing us here, bringing us out of Egypt? There is a repeated theme with the Israelites. Now, this is where you're going to check your spirit. Do you have a repeated theme in your life as well that runs not congruent with God's word today? Amen? Why don't we get what we want? Why don't we get it when we want it? <laughs> so they begin to pine for what they call the good times. Do you remember back in the day, young people, do your parents have conversations like, well, when I was a kid... We were happy just to go outside and hit pebbles with a stick. Well, that's okay. That's because the cell phone wasn't invented yet. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, they were saying. We had pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted and you brought us here to the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. That is not good. It says in Exodus 16. And so God gives them manna. You're hungry, I'll feed you. 
And then they're like, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, and the cucumbers, the melons, and the leeks, and garlic, and now we have lost our appetite. You want what you want, the way you want it, when you want it. And anything else, you're not going to allow yourself to make you happy. And then when they reach the promised land, they hear about the giants in the land. You know, this, is after, this is after they cross the Red Sea. And they cry out, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to be let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children, they're going to be taken like plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us if we choose now to go back to Egypt? I'm telling you, when your future scares you, don't let it change the course of your life that God has set for you. Raising a family is scary because you don't know what's going to be in store, what's going to come up. You're hoping for the best. Some days are good, and I, I, my prayer is that most all your days are good days in raising your household. But there are going to be some days of challenges and despair. And it's those opportunities when we're going to sit there and say, okay, Lord, am I going to apply the rubber where it meets the road here? Am I going to apply your word and the promises of your word into my life? God gives them manna. God sits there and he says, they get to the promised land. He's like, are you going to let us cool, uh, get killed here? And they say, I want to go back to how things were. I want to go back to the good old days. I want to go back to Egypt. You know, my mother and father, they left the European continent. My father's from England and my mother's from Singapore. They left there because their families rejected their marriage. They were considered a biracial marriage back there. And they came to America because they had the, uh, heard the rumor that this is a very embracing country. But when my mother got here, she didn't like America. It was so different, so foreign from what she had grown up in. And the mannerisms of people and things. She kept telling me she wanted to go back. She wanted to go back. She wanted to go back. But why? Why would you go back to something? What was waiting for her there? There's, there's something that prompted her to leave. These folks in Egypt, or in Israelites, they are never happy because they want what they want when they want. As a result, they're seemingly always anxious and fearful. The only way for a Christian to deal with fear is, as Moses said, be Now, let me say that again. The only way for a Christian to deal with fear is to be still. If I'm in the hospital and I have to make a decision about a loved one's emergency surgery, it is not the time to freak out. There is that saying, cooler heads will prevail. Lord, I need you to come upon me right now. I need your spirit upon me. I need you to give me a, a peace and a sound mind so that I can help make the best decisions, Lord God, and I want you to guide me through the process. That's what I would prefer. That's the way I would love to respond. There's the way we say we're going to respond, and there's the reality of how we do respond, right? Yeah. The only way for this church to cross its Red Sea is to have the faith that we can do it. The only way to remove doubt about where Parkway is headed is to believe where God wants us to be. We're talking about our church now. Even Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Church body, we should say the same thing. Lord, not my will, but whatever your will is for Parkway Christian Center, that's what I want done. And then you've got to hold to that, and you've got to stand by that. God, I want what you want, because I've got what I, if I got what I wanted, I might end up with a big old mess. So God, give me what you want in my life. Stand still, wait upon the Lord, and watch and see what he does. Moses tells the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you if you will only be still. Last observation is this. 
Cecil B. DeMille made a movie. No, he made several movies. But one of them was about Moses and the Red Sea. You see, those people back in the day, the Israelites, they probably had no idea the severity and the impact that what was about to happen, the miracle that was about to take place, how would it impact the future generations? Just before Joshua led the people to the promised land, he sent two spies to look at the land. And as you know, um, they went and they looked. And one of the things that happened is this, because they were looking through Jericho, they were discovered and they ended up hiding on the rooftop of a woman's house who covered them with reeds and things like that. Do you remember that in the Bible? Some of you remember reading that? Here's what she said to them. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that, you are, and that there is a great fear of you that has fallen upon all of us, that all who live in this country are meeting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea so that when you came out of Egypt and when you did the, the, what you did to the kings of the Amorites and of the Jordan, uh, two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed, when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you, uh, because of you, for the Lord your God is God of heaven above and the earth below, would you now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. What's so impactful is this conversation is taking 40 years after they crossed the Red Sea. 40 years, she's citing back, they've been in fear for 40 years because they've seen the power of God. The fact is this, the Israelites, their test became their testimony. Their trials became their triumphs. If you start to look at something that God's got you going through, God, why am I experiencing this? God, why am I going through this? Give me a testimony through this. Give me a triumph over this. Only God can do this. Only God can turn a mess into a message. Only God can turn a test into a testimony. Only God can turn a trial into a triumph. And only God can turn a victim into a victory. That's your God. It makes all the difference if we start to believe those things. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back down here if I could. Church, I'm going to ask you if you would stand on your feet for me. We'll get a little exercise in, okay? I love it because all the sleeping people have to wake up now. <laughs> Unless they're really out of it, then don't disturb them. I'll come to them. You know that every single person in this room has an appointed day, an appointed time to say goodbye to this body of theirs when the soul will depart. It is my prayer that that soul, when it departs, that it goes to heaven. But I can't make it happen. I can't direct it to happen. It is your choice and your free will that decides whether we go to heaven or not. But I also know that there are people in this room who know the Lord. I've had conversations with so many of you. I love to hear your testimonies. I love to hear when you share the miracles. I love when you come and you say, Pastor, would you pray with me about this and or that? I hear it all. But what I also know is this, that we are not to be consumed with worry. That if we say we are Christians, we will learn like a reed to bend in the wind and not be broken. If you struggle sometimes and you say, man, when I start to lose my cool, I go right back to the old man, square one. 
I begin to get back into the old me. But Lord said I'm a new creation, but I got to start living like I'm a new creation. Amen. So I'm going to ask everybody in this room if you would close your eyes for me. If you would just close your eyes. What an opportunity it is for someone in this room today to say, man, I really need some relief from the strife in my life. I really need a respite from the things that are eating me alive. I really need a break. I really need to know that there's hope and I need to know that there's, there's a future for me where I am no longer feeling like there's an emotional cancer in my life. And really all it takes is for you to say, I yield my will to you, Lord and Savior. I declare you. So this morning, if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, we're going to do something in just a moment. We're going to pray a prayer, but everyone's going to pray it along with the whole entire room. So if you raise your hand this morning and say, I don't know the Lord, that's okay. Everyone's going to be praying along with you. You see, because at one point, everybody in this room didn't know the Lord. But the majority in this room have said, I will follow him. I will trust him. So with your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you right now, if you would just hold up your hand in faith and say, Lord, today's a day I need you in my life. I can't take this anymore. I can't travel anymore on my own. I need you to guide me. And I need a new heart, a new creation. Yes, I see that hand. I do. Would you all pray with me this morning? Father, come into my life and make things new. Take me from worry to victory. Change my life. Remove the old me and fill me with your spirit. Let me walk boldly and confidently as a new creation. I believe it, I accept it, and I will live it. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing my life today. I will serve you all my life. I will learn more about you, and I will promise to tell others about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last one, and that is this. Those of you this morning, and this, this could be many people, you struggle with things in your life. What it is, I don't know, but God does, amen? I want you to feel free to come down here to pray. And for those persons that raised their hands and said, I wanted to receive the Lord as well today, I want you to come down as well with the group. But would you do this now? Would you step out? And you're going to find some time at the altars here. It is not too late to spend time with God. Amen? It is 1149. I see the clock. I know it. But God right now is more important than a digital clock on a wall and the quality of life. So I encourage you, come on down here. Come on down here and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I seek you. Lord, I hunger after your ways. Anybody who says, Lord, I need a break from things. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you.
this story real short. There was a missionary in China and she had been forced to flee from her mission area during the occupation, the Japanese occupation in World War II. And she had to flee, but she couldn't do it, however, without realizing that she had many orphans in her mission and she couldn't leave them behind. So with her and just one other assistant, these young women attempted to move 100 orphans to safety over the mountains to reach freedom. And at one point, their, fl their flight they were taking over the mountains was so grappled with despair that she began to break down this missionary. And she thought, there's no hope, there is no way. And after one particularly sleepless night, a 14-year-old girl in the group comes up to her, takes her by the hand, and reminds her about the story she shared with her as a girl, sharing the story about Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And the missionary said, but I am not Moses. And the little girl, 14-year-old, said, of course not, but Jehovah is still God. And they made it. True story, they made it. Your God is your God over every situation in your life this morning. He will be over everything you face if you will just continue to go to Him. So pray, be still, and then ask God, what shall I do? Amen? Let's put our fears under control and begin to see Parkway go full throttle where God intends for us to be. Amen? You are dismissed this morning. Love, Lord bless you, and we will see you again.